All right, let's jump in this morning. Um, we're going to be starting a new topic today for the next few weeks about hurt, all right? A fun topic, right? Something we all like to dive into. And today, especially, we're going to be talking about rejection, all right? Who just loves being rejected, right? Woo, sign me up. I, I'm looking for things all the time to be rejected for. No, of course not, right? But listen to this. This is kind of what has inspired this whole sermon this morning. I said I was going to mention some of our missionaries that we support. Um, B.J. Chandler, y'all, y'all know B.J.? He comes and preaches about once a year. He, he runs a, a um, ministry on university campuses called Navigators. It's nationwide. He, he runs the chapter at Texas A&M. He was at Ga- in Gainesville, um, you know, helping with the Gators. And we're not going to talk about them this morning. Um, they moved him to Texas, and he's on the campus of Texas A&M right now. And he was sending out a newsletter that we read this week to all of his supporters. And, and it says this in his newsletter. This is what BJ wrote. And I asked him, by the way, if I could read this. It said, surveys, evangelism, fun events, late nights, late days, free Chick-fil-A, nav nights, early morning prayer, texting hundreds of students, and lots and lots of rejection, in all caps. That's how I would describe our first few weeks on campus. And what I loved about what he's writing here, this is not like an admission of guilt or anything. He's saying, look, yeah, we went out, we did everything we could, and guess what? We got rejected a lot. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, if we're not living this life where we're being rejected for Jesus, then we're really not doing it right. Because the truth is, when we profess Jesus, there are going to be people that reject us. Because the world rejects Jesus. It's not popular. And it probably never will be. Jesus himself says that. Narrow is the way. But wide is those that path of destruction. Narrow is the way to Jesus. And few travel on it. But that doesn't mean that we stop offering it. We continue to offer it. But here's the thing. When it comes to rejection, we avoid it like the plague. We will not say things that we believe. We will not put ourselves in situations. We will not hang out with certain people if it means the possibility of being rejected. And when we're talking about hurt, and I'm not talking about physical pain, I'm talking about emotional pain, all of it is rooted in that first bit of rejection. Rejection is what what spurs hurt in our life. And here's why rejection stings so much, because You know, if you think back, the greatest commandment in the Bible, what does Jesus say? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and with people as yourself, right? Love God and love people. Be relational. That's what Jesus is saying. Be relational with me, and then be relational with other people. And when we get rejected by people, we are getting hit in that very spot that is who we are, who we're created to be. If we're created for relationship, and someone says, I don't want to be in relationship with you, then they're hitting that spot that's the whole purpose of living. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying here? And so rejection is this huge thing that we can carry around in our life and it causes all this hurt and causes all these other ripple effects. And so we avoid it. We keep it at arm's length. And so I'm not gonna say this because I don't wanna be rejected. And I'm not gonna go over here because I don't wanna be rejected. But if we look at the life of Jesus, which we're gonna do this morning, what we see for Jesus is rejection was a way of life. It followed him around everywhere. Psalms 118.22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. 
And if we think about that, as Jesus is building this church, there was a stone and that was Jesus and these builders, the church, the people, the world saw this and they said, we don't want this. This doesn't belong in our church. This doesn't belong in what we are building. So I'm going to throw it on that stack of rubble over there. That garbage, that waste, I'm rejecting this stone. And we don't want it. We don't want it in what we are building. And they threw Jesus in a pile of rubble, cast off. I don't want it. I hate it. And I'm going to kill that stone. Was what Jesus got. But what God did is he took that stone and that rubble and he dusted it off and he places it right in the middle of what he's building. He says, no, 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 Jesus. You're not cast off. You're not rejected. You are the cornerstone, the centerpiece of what I am building. And so though the builders rejected it, though the builders rejected this stone and rejected Jesus, God said, no, 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 that's not how this works. You're the centerpiece. And when we get rejected by people, it's the same way. God dusts us off. He says, no, 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 that's not how this works. You see, I sent my son to die for you. And I receive you. You are not rejected. You are part of what I am building right here. You are an important piece. You are a stone that I'm going to use and I'm going to accept. But before we can really understand rejection in our own life, we have to understand and appreciate Jesus' rejection. That verse on 118 that I just read is actually the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. It's quoted in Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20, Acts 4, Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 2. Over and over again, there's this reference of Jesus being rejected. And yet we kind of skate over it a little bit. And what I want to do this morning is look at Jesus in the most, the most human terms, right? Because he was human. And understand what it must have been like for Jesus to be rejected over and over. Because if we hurt from being rejected, we have to understand that Jesus did too. Because Jesus was a person. He was flesh. And to say that he wasn't hurt would mean he was a robot or he was something less. Which would then mean that he's not our perfect sacrifice. So when he's rejected, it hurt and we like to think of the pain that Jesus suffered as our Savior only happening once he was arrested. But I believe the pain that Jesus felt to be our Savior happened well before that. It happened well before. It happened as he began to profess who he was. It actually happened well before that. The, whole, the, the, the moment that Jesus came down here and was born in a manger and shepherds heard about it first was the plan of Jesus to be rejected over and over again. That was it. That was always the plan. And so rather than avoiding it like the plague, like we do, Jesus said, here it is. I choose rejection. I'm going to go into the cities and into the streets and go into the homes and wherever I can. And I'm going to choose the opportunity to be rejected so that we will never have to be. And so that's what happens. John chapter 6 Jesus has just fed the 5,000, right? Here's the context of this, um, this quick verse I'm going to read you all today. Jesus, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, he feeds them. They're full. They can't eat anymore. They're having seconds and thirds, and maybe even some of them fourths. There's 12 basketfuls left over. Jesus does this amazing miracle of feeding all these people with five loaves and two fish. And then later on in the chapter... They're following him the next day and Jesus calls these people out, this, whole, this same multitude and says, y'all, 
Y'all aren't here to hear what I have to say. You're not here for me. You're hungry. And you want to eat again. You're here for another free meal. It's a multitude of moochers. <laughs> Looking for the handout. We won't go any further. <laughs> Tread lightly, Pastor James. <laughs> then Jesus, so he calls him out. And he says, look, here's what I'm offering you today. I'm offering you me. I'm not doing the miracle again. You can find your own food. But if you, if you want to eat the bread of life, you got to eat of me. And he calls them out, and it's a hard teaching. And this is what they say in verse 66 of John chapter 6. At this point, many of his disciples, not the 12, but many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And so here's the dynamic of what's happening here in John 6. Jesus gives them something. He gives them a free meal. And they follow him. And the next day he says, no, you don't get the free meal. And they say, oh, well, we're done with you. So now that you can't give me something that I can touch, that I, that I can use, you are of no use to me anymore. Bye. No show of hands, but can you relate to that? You only want to be friends with me. You only want to be in relationship with me because of what I can give you, not because of who I am. And the second the well runs dry, I'm out. That's what Jesus just faced in that moment. Yes, Jesus, you're awesome. What a miracle. Next day, bye. I think that made him feel. And I love the verbiage here that it says in this, in this verse. It says that they turned away and deserted him. A familiar word that we'll hear again. In other words, Jesus, you're great. Maybe, maybe we can get up some other time, but that word deserted. It's like you're left in the lurch. And I, I want, this is just me thinking, but I wonder when I read this, are, was, was Jesus maybe staying with some of these people? I mean, it says that they were his disciples. They were following him. Again, not one of the 12, but those that were, that were following Jesus as their teacher. And maybe they were giving him money along the way. Maybe they were giving him food and they were giving him lodging. And then in a moment, all that's gone. All of it's gone. They're taking their ball and they're going home because they didn't get another lunch on Jesus's tab. Rejected and deserted. John chapter 7. Here's another dynamic, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. I'm going to read that again. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to, guess where? Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. So here we are. Jesus is saying, I don't want to go to Judea, not because I don't like the food there or because the view's not very nice, but because literally the people that are trying to kill me are in Judea. And what do his brothers say to do? Get out of our house and, oh, I know, go to Judea. We would rather you go to the place where the people that are plotting to kill you are than you to stay in our living room anymore, brother, family. And you can almost hear the sarcasm in their voice as we read this. Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. Not only did they, they not believe him, but they didn't even understand who Jesus was and what he was saying. Jesus wasn't trying to be famous he wasn't trying to, you know, put on this show. 
But it's like they're, they're sick of it. These brothers, and, and the word that we're getting to that, that they were is they were jealous of him. They were tired. Can you imagine being tired of seeing miracles of Jesus? Like, that boggles my mind. Like, we're done. We're done with these miracles. Go somewhere else and do them. We don't want to see them, brother. Let me tell you something. And I can say this firsthand on a much, 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 much smaller scale. When you are leading something, you need people around you that will hold you up. And when I, <laughs> when I you know, go home on a Sunday and I wasn't really feeling the sermon, which happens a lot, you just get off the stage and go, well, that was terrible. You know, I'm pretty sure I blasphemed the entire thing and God's gonna you know, usher me out of this position because you, know, you just self-doubt happens, whatever. And I need a pick-me-up, I know exactly who to call. My mom. <clears throat> when I call my mom and say, what did you think of this sermon today? Yeah. I am not looking for an objective answer, all right? She's my mom. <clears throat> of course she's going to say, oh, James, it was wonderful. <clears throat> it may have been the very best sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. And I know she's going to say that. That's why I call her, all right? If I want to hear an objective opinion, I'll call someone else. But you know what? That's not what I'm looking for in the moment. I'm looking for a someone in my family that can pick me up when I'm not feeling too good about what I just did. Jesus doesn't have that. His brothers are saying, get out of here. Go to Judea. I don't want to see your miracles anymore. I'm tired of your words. Go be famous somewhere else. Can you imagine that? But we... We shared a room together. We played together. You're my brother. And you don't even get who I am. Do you think for a second Jesus ever rubbed any of that in, in their faces? No, of course not. But by his own family, his own brothers, I don't believe him. I don't, I don't buy what you're selling. That's tough. Matthew 13 Verse 53, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And check this out, verse 57. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. You know what the people in their hometown are saying? Where does he get off? Boy, the nerve of that guy. Thinking he can be someone or something from this town. Jealousy again. These are the same people that Jesus went to Sunday school with. Play kickball out in the park with, right? It's like when you go, you know, when you go home, if, if, if you don't live here, you go home like for a reunion or something and you want to, you want to, you know, tell everybody what you're doing, tell them about your kids, your, your marriage, what job you have. And they'd always be like, we don't, we don't care about you at all. Get out of here. You think you're something? We remember where you came from, son of a carpenter. You're nobody. This is the reaction that Jesus got from the hometown that he grew up in. So let's review the masses. Reject him because he won't give them a free meal. 
Now his brothers and even the people in his hometown, which I would wager to say he probably had some friends growing up. I would think that Jesus had some friends that stayed behind, that stayed in Nazareth, that couldn't, you know, kind of get out of that town. That's kind of what Nazareth was like, by the way. If you're not familiar with Nazareth, it was, it was, a, it was not a good, reputable place. And people kind of, it's, it's like those, you know, movies where I just want to get out of town and go be something of myself and everyone else is stuck there, you know. That was Nazareth. Jesus got out and people were talking about him and people were following him and he was doing miracles. And then he goes back home and they say, you're not special just because you got out of town and we're still stuck here. That was the mentality. No support whatsoever. No honor in his own hometown. And here's where it gets really real. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 43. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they took hold of him and arrested him. This one is a doozy. Judas has not just betrayed Jesus, he has rejected him as his savior. And he does it with a kiss on the cheek. It is both cowardly and it is incredibly tempting. Here's what I mean by that. The first part is, it's that, let me give you a hug and while I'm doing so, I'm gonna stab you in the back. Those are the hard rejections. And this is why it's tempting, not for Judas, but for Jesus. I want to think about this for a second. Jesus is on the cusp of being arrested and being the sacrifice that is going to change our eternity and the eternity of everyone forever. And in this moment, he has lived a perfect life up until right now. And then here comes this dude thinking he's going to kiss me on the cheek? Show me some sign of affection? Rub it in my face that he's rejecting me? The temptation is I'm going to punch him right in the face. Seriously, y'all. I mean, think about for a second how you have reacted in the past when that's happened to you. Someone is so nice to you, to your face, and you know they are stabbing you in the back. What do you want to say to them? What do you want to do to them? That's Jesus in the garden right here. Come on, Judas. You walked with me for three years. I knew you were stealing from us. You sat at my table. I washed your feet. And you're going to kiss me on the cheek? That's my reaction. Remember, Jesus is human, y'all. This wasn't just... Uh, that's, that's what I would have done. You can kiss me on the cheek. Or you, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard one. When I read it, that's a hard one. Thank you, Lord, Jesus doesn't do that. Because he knows what's at stake. He knows what's at stake. And it's a lot more than him having some verbal comeback or anything like that because a guy kissed him on the cheek and rejected him. But that's tough. Y'all, that's really tough. The fact that Jesus stood his ground there and didn't cross that line that so many of us would have crossed tells you how much he loves us.
You know, there's no, there's not even, if, if Jesus reacts in that moment, there's no reason to arrest him anymore. There's no more cross. There's no more perfect sacrifice. It's all gone in that moment. And he stands his ground and continues to love this guy that just kissed him on the cheek. And then it goes on from there, Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, he's talking to his 12 disciples now, tonight all of you will desert me. There's that word again. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. This is where it gets fun. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. In other words, we're not running from rejection. We're running towards it with you, Jesus. We got you. We got you. We are your disciples. We are never going to leave you. Skip down to verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus and uh, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. So here Jesus is. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's about to die for Peter, for all of us. And Peter is off on the sideline, going back on his word, three different times, saying he doesn't even know Jesus. In his biggest moment of need, where he needs the most support from those he loved, those he loved ran away because they were afraid of rejection. They were afraid of those consequences. They were afraid of it all. You see, that's us with rejection. We run, we hide. Jesus puts rejection on a cross. It says, here it is. I'm taking all the rejection. I'm taking it all, every single bit of it. Oh, I want to ask this morning, we'll have the band come, come back up, is what are we doing? What are we doing with the rejection that Jesus chose to have for our sake? What are we doing with that? Are we being like the disciples who say, yes, God, yes, I'm for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you in the darkest hour. And the second that we get around a coworker or a friend or a family member, we go, uh. so you see the Jags game? Because we're not quite there yet to put ourselves out and face rejection. Even though in church on Sundays and at home, we, we, we have the big talk. 
you know, we're like Peter. I'll never do it, Jesus. I'll never do it. You know what happens when we continue to run away from the rejection because of Jesus? We're just like Peter. We end up weeping bitterly in the corner. But the good news is Jesus is not like us. All right? He doesn't react the way we would if we had been kissed on the cheek by someone that's betraying us. He says, it's okay. I love you. I forgive you. But it's time, y'all. It's time. The world needs the church to stop worrying so much about what other people are going to think, what other people might say, and for us to take that step. I'll tell you a quick story. I have a neighbor across the street. I don't really talk to a lot of our neighbors. They're just... There's not a lot of opportunity. It's not like I, you know, go out of my way to not talk to him. But there's this one that I've kind of gotten to know. And we were talking the other day outside our house. And it's like, you're a pastor, right? I was like, yeah. It's like, what church do you pastor at? It's at Beaches Chapel in Neptune Beach. He said, you know where, yeah, yeah, I know where that is. I know where that is. He lives at the beach, grew up here. So he knew. It's like, yeah, that's where I pastor. He's like, okay, cool. Nothing. Like, I didn't say anything after that. It was like he was almost begging for an invitation to come to church. And I didn't invite him. And I felt so bad the rest of the day. I was like, I repent. I was like, Lord, I told Jesse about it. Like, I blew it, God. Please give me another chance. Please give me another chance. Lo and behold, a couple days ago, comes riding up on his bike. We start talking. God says, here's your second chance. What are you going to do? Say, hey, by the way, so I know you're blah, 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 but you should come check out a service sometime. Love to have you come. Yeah, okay, cool. I thank you, Jesus. I did it. I did it. Uh, the pastor of the church invited someone to church. No, don't, don't clap for that. That's pathetic. <laughs> that is pathetic. <laughs> Please don't pat me on the back for that. It's time, y'all. It is time. And you know what's awesome? I want to read this because this should, this should be our approach as well. This is Acts chapter 5. So Jesus is gone. The disciples are building the church. No more running. And it says that the, church, the leaders of the church, they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. What a gift that we have this good news that we can tell people about. Let's be like the disciples. Let's be like the apostles and say, God, we count it as a blessing when people reject us. Let's write the same letters that B.J. Chandler did. We got rejected all the time. Praise God. Because if we as a church go and every single one of us save one, get rejected, then that one that didn't is going to bring someone in here and is going to know Jesus and have their lives changed. And I want to wear rejection as a badge of honor, not something that's disgraced. Not something that we run away from and that we avoid like the plague. We say, here I am. And, and, and frankly, y'all, come on, let's be real. What in the world, what in the world are we being embarrassed by? Because the world is crazy. It is nuts. 
Thank God we have Jesus. Thank God. Whether it's, whether it's our fall festival at the end of the month or church next week, whether it's a Bible study you're going to, and maybe in that moment, rather than just saying, hey, do you want to come to church? You say, hey, can I pray for you right now? You know what? They're, they're going to say yes, by the way. When you ask someone, hey, can I pray for you? I've never had someone say no. They might not know what you're doing. They might just doing it to appease you, but they will always say yes. I guarantee that. I really do. Even if it's someone from another faith, if they're pouring their heart out to you of something that is wrong in their life, they are, they, they are looking. They might not even know. They are looking for Jesus in that moment. So say, hey, can I pray for you? Pray for him right then and there. Say, hey, come to church with me on Sunday. Let's be like these disciples. Let's be like the apostles. Let's be like Jesus. And choose to put ourselves in a place where if we get rejected, whatever, because we know, y'all, let's not forget what Psalms 118 said. The stone the builders rejected, that's not the end of it, period. It has now become the cornerstone, okay? Yes, he was rejected by the world, but God chose him and God chooses us. And so I wanna say this as well. For those that are, we're gonna to continue to talk about this topic as the weeks go on, but just know right now, right where we're sitting in this moment, if you, if you are dealing with rejection in your life, if you're walking around in that in some relationship aspect of your life, whatever that might be, you need to know right now that Jesus chose all these moments of rejection and more that we didn't get to today for you, all right? He chose rejection for you. And that means that you are valuable, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are not forgotten, and that you are gonna spend eternity with Jesus. That doesn't sound like rejection to me. You have a home with him. And he stood in that place and said, I will, I will be rejected from the moment I'm born to the moment I leave. And then some, he's being rejected even today for you. So know that going forward, that he loves you, and if other people make you feel less, know that that is not truth. That is them dealing with their own things, putting it on you. But Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you because he wants to spend eternity with you. Let's stand and let's worship this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose rejection. It didn't stumble upon you. You didn't live this life thinking maybe I might, maybe I might not know. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew with the words that you spoke. You knew with the people that you associated with. Father, you knew that you were going to be rejected all the time. And as much as it hurt, living a perfect life, oh, just loving people, and then throwing dirt back in your face. God, you chose it for us. Let us not lose sight of that, God that the hurt that you endured was well before your arrest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for choosing rejection for us. And God, let us be bold this week. I pray right now for every single one of us in this room, every single person that is watching online, that you would put someone in our path this week. Maybe it's that person we've been praying for. Maybe it's a total stranger, God. But in that moment that we were having a conversation with them, I pray that this message would, would just come right to the forefront of our brain. Lord, that you would just be in our ears saying, this is it, this is it, this is it. And that we would all take that step. Take that step to be bold and to pray for them, to invite them to church, God.
to, to making ourselves open for the possibility of rejection. But God, that we would be like the disciples to say hallelujah, that we get that opportunity. Lord, we love you. And we pray for increase in this place, Lord. God, we do pray for the prodigals, Lord. God, we pray for the family members, Jesus, that we're dying to have come back here with those, those close friends that have left, God. God, call them back in Jesus' name. Bring them back here, Father. God, include us in that work, Lord Jesus. But we, God, we just speak them out right now to you in Jesus' name. I, right now, wherever you're at, I, just if there's someone in your life that you love, a friend, a neighbor, whoever it might be, right in this moment, right where we're at, speak their name right now. If, that, if that's you, speak their name out right now. Jesus, we, you hear those names. We, God, we ask that you would bring them back home. Bring them back home, Father, in Jesus' name. Ready their hearts for the invitation and ready ours to give it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.